to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there. Um, before we start the show, I'm going to ask you to look in the mirror. Mm, I'll wait a second. Oh, you know what? Just put your phone on selfie mode so you can see yourself. Okay, smile. If you're not proud of your smile, if your teeth look dingy or yellow, I know something that can help. You don't have to spend hundreds of dollars or hours at the dentist to whiten your teeth. Check out High Smile. Their at-home alternative doesn't cause any pain or sensitivity and is a finishing touch to your beauty routine. I'm on the High Smile Teeth website right now, and the teeth whitening kit with their new non-peroxide teeth whitening gel is less than 60 bucks. If you're not sure if High Smile is right for you, just read some of their reviews. There's over 17,000 reviews. The product is easy to use and takes just 10 minutes a day for six days to get your teeth two shades whiter. And they're offering all of our listeners 20% off for a limited time only. Use the code WBMB to receive 20% off High Smile. If you buy High Smile, please drop us a DM and let us know what you think. We'll gladly share your feedback with the High Smile team. Now let's get started with our show. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This week's episode features Victoria Watts. She's the founder of Victoria Lamb Beauty. She's a client of Base Beauty, and her brand is launching some huge initiatives in 2020. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you missed last week's episode, it featured Jessica Johnson. She's the founder of Jessica Johnson Beauty. Hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be sitting with Victoria Watts. She is the founder of Victoria Land Beauty. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. It's so great to be back here and great to be with you, Jody. So um, for our listeners, I want them to know this is take two. I want them to know, you know, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. So yes. Victoria and I actually recorded a few weeks ago and then the file was just corrupt, so we couldn't use it. So here we are again. <laughs> you know what? The second time is... Second time's going to be a charm. Yeah, I agree. And we, um, I want to let everybody know how we know each other, and then I want you to talk about the brand. But um, so Victoria is a client of ours, and we actually just hosted a really incredible uh, makeup artist breakfast so that makeup artists can learn about your product and learn about you. And you're all decked out in your hot pink Victoria Land colors. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Victoria Land? Okay. Well, Victoria Land um, really uh, was born out of a necessity. I had a lot of skin concerns um, about six six years ago, and I was looking for a natural solution because all of the products that I had been using really weren't helping my skin concerns at the time. So I started mixing and formulating in my kitchen with the help of of Google and a few uh, how to make your own skincare books and uh, really got into it. It was actually, a, you know, it was fun to just mix and, and research. And after many, many, many batches, um, I was finally came up with a batch that um, looked good enough to put on my skin. And I started using it and really right away noticed some, some great results. So I decided to uh, share what I had learned, um, because I know so many women suffer from the same skin concerns that I had at the time, which my main one was hyperpigmentation. So that's where Victoria Land was born. Um, during that time of taking it from the kitchen to the laboratory was a very long process, much longer than I I had anticipated. I gave birth to my, um, my son, Cyrus, who's... Um, going to be three next week. And um, he 
was born visually impaired due to a rare genetic eye disease. We, he was diagnosed at four months old. So at that point, we were still you know, getting ready to launch Victoria Land Beauty, and I decided that we would um, make our give back program something to help my son Cyrus and others like him by donating 2% of all of our sales to Boston's Children's Hospital and the amazing research those doctors are doing to find uh, cures and treatments. So our give back is really the backbone of Victoria Land Beauty. Um, so that's basically how it was born and, and where we are today. So let's, um, I want to go back in time. I want to talk a lot about Cyrus and what you've learned, but I want to go back to this idea of Victoria Land because when I first met you and you said, oh, my company is called Victoria Land Beauty, and in my head, I close my eyes and I imagine like the, the board game of life, but everything is like hot pink and pink. Um, and I didn't really know what that meant. And what, what, where is Victoria Land? You know, what does it look like? Um, it's a little in my head. I thought like Dr. Seuss, but just all pink. So um, what does that mean? Like, where did this idea of the Victoria Land, because there's no Jody Land, you know? <laughs> like, so <laughs> should be a Jody land. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll build one. But um, what is Victoria land? So when Victoria, and I get asked this question a lot. So um, Victoria land, when, when I was formulating my products in my kitchen, my girlfriends would come over every Wednesday and I would try different batches on them. And at the time I was going through a divorce and it was also a way to keep me very focused and grounded. My girlfriends would come over and they would love just, you know, being my guinea pigs. And it became known as Victoria Land on Wednesdays, that we can't wait, they'd bring their coffee. I mean, they'd stay all day and we'd just, you know, try different products, smell different fragrances. And so when I decided to launch Victoria Land Beauty, that just seemed like such a natural fit because that's really where it was born. But more importantly, Victoria Land is, is it's fun, it's happiness, it's, um, it's acceptance. It's it's no judgment. It's everyone is love, no matter who you are, where you come from, what your race is, what your. It doesn't matter. It's just full of love and it's fun and it's a place where you can be you and feel good about being you. So um, you're going through a divorce, and my guess is you had some time to fill, right? Is yes. This, is this why Wednesdays became the day with the girlfriends? Mm-hmm. 50% of my time was now free because my kids were with their father, the other half. And it was just, you take care of people, feels like you're, you know, your whole life. I mean, for 12 years, I was 24 hours taking care of people. And then all of a sudden I had this time, which was scary and um, sad too. But this filled that void for me while they were gone and gave me something um, productive and something to really ground me. And, and it made it a lot more manageable. So this is, I mean, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who have gone through divorce or going through divorce or witnessed good friends or family members go through it. It must be kind of startling to have gone from, like you said, 24-7 with this family unit and all of a sudden quiet in the house. Oh, yes, it, it is. It's, it's, it's very difficult. At, at first, it's a huge transition and you just, you have to, you're so used to living a certain way and you have to you have to adjust and you have to, it's, it's territory that you've never been in before or you haven't been in for a very long time because you've, you know, you've been consumed by raising a family and it's, it's, um, it's terrifying. So did this, were you like lying in bed sobbing? Like how did this manifest itself? This like, you know, I mean, I, there were days where I was, you know, sad, of course, but I, you know, 
I just made good use of my time. I would do a typical night when I was didn't have my kids was I would go do yoga just to get my center, just to, you know, that and go to order an organic market that was right near my house, get myself dinner, go home, crank up the tunes in my kitchen and just start formulating and mixing and, you know, dancing around my kitchen, doing whatever it is I was doing at the time. But it really did feel, fill that void for me. And it gave me, I guess it gave me another purpose other than being a mom and being a wife because during that time, yes, I was still a mother, but I was, I was alone. Yeah. That loneliness must, um, spark a lot of different emotions for different people. Um, but why did you think that you're going to fill the time making your own beauty products? I mean, there's so many other ways that you could have filled that time. You could have baked, you know, you could have gone to the movies. Like why really spend the time researching, investigating and mixing because I was on a mission. I've been, I was on a mission for many, many years to figure out how to correct the skin concerns I had at the time. My hyperpigmentation was, um, it was, it was so frustrating to have to get up every morning, cover up my hyperpigmentation and go out, you know, with a full face makeup just because I, I felt so self-conscious about it. And, you know, I was, didn't go in the sun. I would do, you know, facial, I would everything that I could to have good skin, but I still had these issues. And I just, I wanted to be able to walk out of my house and no makeup and feel confident. And, and, you know, I'm sure I noticed it more than other people, but still I didn't have that confidence. And now it's great because I can get up, wash my face, go out, go naked with Victoria Land Beauty. That's where that tagline came from because I can now go out and go naked and feel really good about myself and and the way my skin looks. Did you ever have fantasies about being a beauty entrepreneur? Never. Never, ever. You do have an entrepreneurial background, which is quite sexy. Would you yeah. reveal it for us, please? <laughs> sexy. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't know that I would call it that, but okay. Um, so back in college, I was um, going to um, school. Uh, my major was um, in marketing, and my father was the owner of, or still is the owner, of a microbrewery up in Massachusetts. And they had this phenomenal beer mustard that they had created for marketing purposes. And they wanted to do away with it because people were literally stealing it off the bars. I mean, it wasn't serving its purpose. So there was a jar like next to it, yeah. like, like pretzels and Yeah, what so was it was it? like a four ounce jar mm-hmm. of mustard. You know, like Sam Adams would do the little coasters you'd right. see on the bar. Well, this was, this was their version of a coaster, their four ounce jar of the spear mustard. And so people were stealing it and it just became too costly for them. And they wanted to do away with it. My dad said, no, 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 no. This mustard is so fabulous. I'll take it. So he said to me, Victoria, why don't you start a business? And, you know, going to school, I, I'm a single mother. You know, at the time, I'm a full-time student. I said, sure, Dad, I'll, I'll do it. No problem. How old were you at this time? At that time, I was 20, 21. So you were a young mom. Yes. Going to school at the same time? Yes. I had my first child at 19, and thank God the good Lord, that I had such an amazing and supportive family. So they were very great. They were, you know, helped 
take care of her while I went to school full time. So I didn't really miss a beat, which was wonderful. Um, but yeah, so I started this company and I had an amazing mentor at school, um, my marketing professor, and he was you know, very intrigued by what I was doing. So I was able to utilize a lot of my class time for market research and various things. So I started this company called IBC Food Products. And we had one product, which was the beer mustard. And I was, I mean, I would go to, um, you know, like bread and circus and uh, more like um, boutique grocery stores. Um, bread and circus is kind of like what Whole Foods is oh, today. Like gourmet markets and things gourmet like that. Gourmet market because uh-huh. it was a higher priced item. Mm-hmm. So I would go, I would go in with my, you know, products. Like and- a rolly case? Would you have a suitcase full of mustard? No, I didn't even have that. I would just go in. I don't even, honestly, like, I would just go in. I had no, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was flying by the seat of my pants. I was just like, sure, I'll do this. Why not? And so I'd go in with my, with my mustard, my story behind it, and um, then, you know, they would try it out. A lot of people tried it out on consignment at first, and I would go in and do demos, and I'd bring my little electric skillet, <laughs> and I would bring, um, I would marinate chicken chicken thighs in the mustard, and I would cook them up at the supermarkets and cut them in pieces and have people try it. And then, um, you know, everyone that tried it loved it and buy the mustard. And that's just what I did out of my little bedroom at my parents' house where I lived with my daughter. This is where IBC Food Products was born. So it was an interesting... um, an interesting time. I learned a lot about myself during that time period. I I was always a little bit insecure and shy prior to that, but I really had I had to come out of my shell because I was the salesperson. I was a demo. I was everything, and um, so that was an interesting time for sure. And my college did this um, photo shoot at the supermarket, which was. And it was in the alumni magazine. It was it was hilarious, um, but it was a good time. It was definitely a good time. And when I graduated from uh, college, I, you know, I wanted to spend time with my daughter. I ended up getting married right out of college, so I gave the company back to my dad, and he took it and with one of the other. Um, uh, guys are partners at the brewery, and they took it. And it's still out there today. It's not where I envisioned it would be, but um, it's still out there. So, you know, when you're describing the role you took in the mustard company and your, your marketing, your sales, your everything, um, it's really very similar to what you have to do now yes, in Victoria. Absolutely. Even though that the subject's different, yep. right? Mustard to skincare. Yeah, it's it's everything. You you have your hand in everything, and um, yeah, I mean that definitely did teach me a lot. Um, and even today, I'm every day I'm learning something new. There's always a new challenge, um, and I still feel like I fly by the seat of my pants. But it's it's fulfilling, and it's it's learning, and life is all about learning. And it's stepping out of your comfort zone and doing things that you never thought you would do. But once you do it, you're like, oh, I can totally do this. Uh, You and I talk a lot about this idea um, as a small business of Mm -hmm. shaking hands and kissing babies, right? Like this, um, as much contact with people as you can possibly have, right? We have social media, right? We, you know, uh, digital marketing is amazing. But, um, you know, to really be in front of people, let them hear your story, let them meet you and um, touch the product is so important these days as a small business. And that's what you were doing back then, mm-hmm. right? Right, exactly. Um, with chicken. 
Yes, and mustard. (laughs) (laughs) So um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about um, the visual impaired community um, and how this be supporting them really became the mission of your skincare brand. So you, you, you know, you started this because you wanted to solve your own skincare problem, but, um, when Cyrus is born, was, were you immediately like, okay, I'm just going to stop what I'm doing and not pursue it and focus on my son and his care? Like, were there ever thoughts about this is too much right now? Oh, absolutely. And I, I struggled with that, um, for, for, you know, significant amount of time. I just, I didn't know, um, you know, what do I do? You know, what do I, what do I do for him? And that was probably the hardest part of this whole, um, experience was, you know, when you have a child that has a disability and a health issue, how can you help them? And, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist. There was really nothing I could do, which was a horrible feeling. Um, and probably one of the hardest parts of all of this, but then, Finally, when I just kind of reflected a little bit and um, started thinking about, you know, how how can I help him? Well, one of the ways I can help him is I can get out of my own space right now and really just be strong for him. But also, I have this platform. I have this company that I've been, you know, working towards launching for the past three years. And with social media and all of the um, different ways, the different voices that we have now, thought, well, you know what, at least I can raise awareness and I can raise funds for the research and treatment that can potentially help him and others like him. So that's where our Give Back program um, started. And that really, not only um, is that going to help him and others, it really helped me personally heal and get through this process. I mean, I'm still getting through it and there are times I'm still sad, but it's less and less because now I talk about my story for a long time. I wouldn't talk about it at all. Closest friends to me didn't really know what was going on because I could not say the words visually impaired, legally blind. I couldn't say those things. It was very difficult for me. So you'd be at like, um, coffee with friends and Cyrus was eight months old and they didn't even know what was going on with him? No. I just wouldn't talk about it. It was easier for me to talk about other people's problems than for me to talk about mine at the time. I just couldn't because it was too real for me and it was too raw and it was, I mean, I guess you could say it was denial in a way Um, and, but I just couldn't do it. But now that I'm, I knew that the only way for me to make a difference was for me to share and that's what I'm doing now. And, and it has helped me. I mean, a year ago, there's, I'm, I say things today that I couldn't say a year ago. That's a lot of progress. It's a lot of progress. Like I don't well up. I don't get, you know, um, I mean, yes, there are times that I do get sad here and there, but it's, it's, I mean, so much less than it was a couple of years ago for me. What is the name of his condition? It's called fever. It's, um, Familiar, familiar, it's a really tough one. Um, It's fever, F-E-V-R. So what does that mean? Well, basically it's a um, genetic disease that attacks the retinas. When he was four months old and we noticed there was something wrong with his eyes, his retinas were partially detached. So he's had about five, five laser procedures so far. And the laser procedures basically um, create scar tissue so it stops the traction on the retinas. 
so that's good. His eyes are stable now. Um, there's no more traction. But what does traction mean? It's pulling away from oh. the um, from the um, the retina pulling away. And another piece is he has a bilateral fold in each of his retinas. So the bilateral fold has taken his macula, which is responsible for central vision, into the fold. So his central vision, if he has any, is very, very limited. So the vision that he does have is peripheral. And that's when we took him to Boston's Children's Hospital, they were able to confirm that he does have vision. And just knowing that he had vision was enough for me to hold on to. Because when I went, we went up there, I had no hope. I had none at all. I was just like a zombie. I was devastated. And, and I'm a planner. I like to have plans. I like to know what's happening. I'm a problem solver. And there was like, I, I was in limbo. So when we went up there and they were able to give us some answers and also confirm that he had vision, it was, it was something I could hold on to. So the hope that they gave me is something I can never pay back to them. But doing what I'm doing through my give back gives me a way to thank them for what they gave me, but also to make a difference for my son. And um, when, at four months old, when you found about, out about this condition, were there a lot of resources for you to turn to? Like, how did you know which doctors to call? Like, how did, you know, what was that process like? Um, well, no, I mean, we have, it's, it's such a rare disease and they're still discovering um, genes for it. It's such a rare thing. And we, um, we, we went over to Baskin Palmer in Miami, which is, you know, a great place over there. We had a, a, an amazing doctor there, but what was frustrating for me was the communication. You know, when you're a parent and you don't know what's going on and you don't get answers, it's, I, I can't work like that. So I'm from Boston originally. I had um, a few connections with the Boston Children's Hospital, so reached out to them, and uh, Dr. Yonakawa was highly recommended, and um, we flew up for a second opinion, and we've been there ever since. We take them there twice a year, and, and like I said, they gave me hope that I didn't have, which was such a gift to me at that time, but they not only treat your child, but they treat the whole family, which is so important when you are you have a child that has um, health issues to treat the whole family because it affects all of us. And they are so amazing at that. Well, um, there's a lot of things that you've started to develop within Victoria Land that's going to be next level for the visually impaired community. Um, and I'm excited that we can bring this you know, news first to yes. the world. Um, tell us what, what you're working on. So... Um, about a year ago, as my son was getting older, I started to really notice like his keen sense of touch, everything that he picks up. I mean, the way he touches, the way he can, you know, touch something and know exactly what it is without seeing it. And, you know, obviously I don't pay attention to those things. I didn't pay attention to those things prior because I'm not visually impaired, but it was fascinating to see how he navigates his world. And I started to think, my husband and I, um, we started to kind of think about how is Cyrus going to navigate his world as he gets older? How is he going to be able to bathe by himself? You know, how is he going to be able to do his personal grooming? How is he going to be able to go to the grocery store, you know, without having assistance? And to me, I want my son to be as independent as possible. He goes to regular school. He's doing everything that every other child does because I'm never, I don't want to ever limit him. 
Um, I just, you know, want him to do whatever he can do. And I don't want him to ever feel that he's different. So we started to think about those things. And I thought, geez, that's going to be a problem potentially because, you know, when he gets to a certain age, he doesn't want me bathing him. He doesn't want me in his space. You know, he's going to want to be on his own. So we started thinking about that. And then I, I said, well, what if we, you know, do something with our packaging? Why don't we, what about maybe Braille or something? So we started to look into Braille. But then I was very surprised to learn that only 10% of the visually impaired and blind population actually read Braille. And when I started to dive into that a little deeper, there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, because visual impairment can come from diabetes, macular degeneration, retina, retina pigmentosa. Not everybody's born visually impaired or blind. It can happen over time. And plus, Braille on packaging is um, there's space restrictions. So one page of, of normal text translates into four pages of Braille. So that was another issue. So I thought, well, you know, we live in this age of technology which is probably another reason why only 10% of people read Braille. Um, and what about putting some type of tactile recognition on our packaging so that someone that is visually impaired and blind can pick up the products and know that this is my face cream, this is my eye cream, this is my shaving cream, whatever, it, you know, wherever the product is. What if we develop our own language of raised symbols, almost like a modern Braille, if you will, for our products, and perhaps this will inspire other consumer brands to do the same. So we have, we worked with um, the Lighthouse down in Florida. We've, I worked with um, a few other people that um, have been working with the visually impaired and blind and, and um, tactile graphics and did our research for the past year. And I am beyond thrilled to um, announce that we are launching our um, new product line with all of our raised symbols that we have for our four SKUs uh, come April, not April, come August, September. And we're really, I'm really hope, hopeful that this is going to really inspire other brands because this is so necessary. We have 300 million people worldwide that are visually impaired and blind. And that, that amount is expected to double by 2050. This is a problem. And there's a whole segment of people out there that brands are missing. Because just because you're visually impaired and blind doesn't mean you don't want to, you want to be, you want to be treated like everybody else. Everybody wants to have the same conversations about products. Everyone wants to feel normal. So adding a, a raised tactile symbol to make someone's life easier and give them that independence not only does it make sense, but it's the right thing to do. And what is the system called? The system is called the Cyrus system, after my Cyrus, who is the inspiration behind this. And it's um, it's C-Y-R-U-S, so Raise Universal Symbols System. And I'm so excited about it. This has really um, given me an even bigger purpose of what, you know, what I plan to do and just, just knowing that we can make a change, a positive change for so many people is just, I can't even describe how that feels. And how would other consumer-focused products leverage the Sire system? Well, other consumer um, people can come up with their own symbols that would be under the Sire system. 
And really what we'd love to be able to eventually is to have a certification of like a, you know, similar to cruelty-free or non-GMO organic, a, a certification called the Cyrus System that would go on to packaging of any consumer brand that is using these um, raised tactile symbols. Right, so I can imagine like laundry detergent could have this, mm -hmm. right? Which would help differentiate from yep. fabric softener, right? For someone who's visually impaired. Exactly. Right, so um, describe some of the symbols to me. What does it mean, tactile symbols? So tactile is is a raised symbol. So on packaging, it's embossed and it's it's gotta be at a certain height so that you can um, visually impaired and blind people use their index finger to feel. So it's gonna be at a certain high, height so that they can be able to distinguish what the symbol is. Now the symbols are broad because you, you know, if you get too detailed, then it's you know too many symbols. So it, they're broad um, symbols that make sense for what the product is, and like I said before, the hope is that this becomes a universal uh, raised symbol language that can just be um, adopted by all consumer brands and just give people a way to navigate. Um, through life with these raised symbols. I, this is incredible. And it's really, um, I can imagine going to revolutionize the way that people who still love their products and want to have independence are able to navigate their bathrooms or the laundry rooms or even their cereal boxes, mm -hmm. I would think, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. one, one other piece too that I'm going to mention that's also important, like I mentioned, the we live in this amazing age of technology where a lot of visually impaired and blind people use screen readers to be able to, um, you know, read web pages and, and such. So the way they do that is through QR codes. So on all of our packaging, um, secondary packaging, will be QR codes. And those QR codes are scanned and it goes to the product page. And that, with their screen readers, will read them all of the information about that product. Um, so QR codes are been around for a while, but visually impaired and blind people really do depend on those. And again, it's just adding another element, um, you know, that would be embossed as well, not and as embossed as a symbol, but embossed enough for someone to feel it and say, oh, that's a QR code, and then they can scan it. That's so incredible because as a, like a layperson, I just kind of thought that QR codes were, you know, unnecessary. I really mm -hmm. didn't understand their value. Um, I thought they were just like weird marketing gimmicks. And now to hear that they actually like really help the visually impaired community like navigate mm -hmm. the, the world is incredible to hear and mm -hmm. gives them, makes it more meaningful for me every time I go to see one now on packaging. Right. Yeah, and what I'd love to, you know, be able to do in the future is to even be able to have them scan it and it just will, uh, it will just, through their phone on audio, just read read to them exactly what, you know, the directions, the ingredients, the key benefits, whatever, whatever the information is, but to be able to do that just without, just make it more convenient for right. them. Like fewer stuff. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it's, you know what, and it's, it's coming. Because our technology is, is, is growing leaps and bounds. And, and thank God for that, for visually impaired and blind people, that we do have the technology today. So if um, a family member or someone who is visually impaired wanted to reach out to you for support or like um, information on how you found the right doctor, can they reach out to you direct? Oh, absolutely. And I've had I've had few reach out to me. And, and it's, um, you know, it's always good to to talk to people that have been through it or are going through it because unless you have go gone through something like this, you, you, you don't get it. And that's 
part of the reason I didn't talk about it for a long time because people don't understand it and you can't expect them to understand it. And how can they reach you? They can reach me through, um, they can email me at my um, email address, victoria at victorialandbeauty.com. That's the best way to get in touch with me. And uh, I would be happy to talk to anybody that is going through something like this because it's, um, it's good to be surrounded with people that get it. And would you consider putting some of these resources on your um, blog? Yes, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that'd be great for Absolutely. Before they email you, they can do some research on their own. I think mm-hmm. that'd be really helpful. And yeah, they can reach out to me through Facebook and Instagram as well. We can include that information. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's good to talk. It's good to talk. Thank you so much for sharing your story and wisdom with us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And I hope you enjoyed this interview with Victoria. Please connect with us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.